Hello and welcome to episode three of People Behind Politics. I'm James Mathewson and my guest today is Matthew Torbett. Matthew is currently the communications advisor to Barry Gardner, a very prominent Labour MP and politician who has been in Westminster for 25 years. People will know Barry very recently from being part of Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet and from his recent campaign to end fire and rehire, which received a lot of cross-party support, as well as that of the trade union movement across the country. Matthew is going to have a chat with us about his background, where he's come from, some of the very unique challenges that he's faced along the way. And I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I'm looking forward to speaking to him. Thank you. Torbett, welcome to People Buying Politics. Thank you very much for having me. No worries, I'm absolutely thrilled that you've been able to set aside the time to come and chat to us because I know that you're a very, very busy person. But uh, with me following you on social media, I know that you're always up to stuff at the moment. And um, I think it's fair to say that in your current role as communications advisor to well known Labour MP Barry Gardner, that you've had a rather busy year, haven't you? It has been a busy year. We, we, um, Barry was selected as number two in the private members' bill ballot. He was telling the tale of he's, he's put in for it for 25 years, never had a sniff, never got near. Um, and uh, he wasn't actually going to put in this year because he thought, what's the point? You never get anywhere near. And thankfully, he did at the last minute and we came out and um, we, we were obviously campaigning on the issue of fire and rehire in the workplace, um, trying to create as much noise as possible, really. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm guessing, you know, in your role, making noise around that issue has been a, a huge part of your job. Um, so congratulations, because I think that there isn't a single person who watches politics, isn't involved in politics in the UK, who hasn't heard about that um, bill, about Barry's bill and the work that was done. So I think you, you were travelling all over the place, weren't you, at one time promoting it? Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that was the main thing. It was trying to access as many areas because what what we quickly realised is that this this was affecting largely every constituency in the country because there were so many big businesses entering into the, the tactic of fire and rehire. Uh, many home, home uh, very uh, famous brands for people at home. Um, and it was about trying to crisscross the country and putting Barry out there and getting attention behind the issue um, and really sort of letting people know that if it's not affecting you now, it may well do in the future. This may may actually become the, the new normal, to borrow a phrase. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't be letting companies off the hook, letting them do this. Um, but, we, you know, we didn't want it to all be negative. And the whole point of the campaign was to, for it to be a positive campaign. It was, we're here, we're going to change things. We want to change things. We want to work with the government. Um, ultimately, you know, the government have got an 80-seat majority. There's no point telling them all they're all a load of rubbish because <laughs> they're not going to want to work with you. And actually... I don't think there was a single backbencher I spoke to during the campaign, or frontbencher actually, to make that point, that disagreed with us. Um, it's just yeah. unfortunate the party politics played its part on the day. That's it, and that's a huge part of thing. You know, people don't people who aren't involved in politics so directly often don't see that work behind the scenes. Do they? Don't see that you know the the amount of work that goes in. Um, to trying to get cross-party support for bills like this. 
Um, the Bills that, you know, at the end of the day, when you're in opposition or that real chance, that one chance, like you say, Barry's waited 25 years for that opportunity um, as an MP to, to make a difference and to influence legislation. So when it comes along, it, you know, it takes a huge amount of work. So um, I'm sure you're, you're feeling suitably exhausted at the end of it all now. Um Christmas, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I thought we could just kick off as well by by asking you, Matthew, about how's the, the past year, and in fact, that's nearly two years now since the COVID pandemic took hold, but how's that been for you? And, you know, MP staff have, have had a particularly challenging time as well. Um, I know in Westminster things have been back and forth, but what's that been like um, for you? Well, I think it, like, like anybody else, it's been quite challenging and quite hard. Um, I think quite privileged in the position that we were able to work from home. I know my previous life working in hospitality, you wouldn't have had much of a choice apart from lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then you weren't guaranteed any sort of salary until furlough come along and then it's how much of salary. So I'm not one to get the violins out. But um, I mean, we we sort of sussed out quite early in our office around uh, late January, early February. This was going to, we thought, become an issue. So we began working from home then um, before it before obviously it got a lot worse and lockdown came. Um, and it's tricky because even little things that you pick up on in the office and you can just ask somebody next to you, oh, what, what about this that we were doing? Or have you done this? Or have you spoke to that person? It's not quite as easy when it's constant phone calls through the day, all day, every day. Yeah. Um, and really, you miss that camaraderie as well. I'm, I'm quite fortunate to work in an office with some great people, brilliantly hardworking people. Um, that I get on with, I love to bits. Um, you know, for a good boss as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, so it was tricky. It was tricky, and part of you then softens to the idea of work part at home, part going in. Because I'd sort of go in probably one one of the ones that lives closer to the office. Um, I'd yeah. cycle in and get the post so that you know constituents' posts were still being picked up, and we could be continuing to assist people as an office. Yeah, um, absolutely. But then actually, that then became a bit boring, and actually especially working in communications and with the press and whatever, them chance meetings where you're bumping into people in Portcullis House or you're bumping into people into corridors and exchanging little opinions or what people are doing and finding out bits of gossip, it's gossip and, and knowledge is very much a currency in that building. Mm-hmm. And without that, it's affecting, I think, journalists a lot of the time and then people in roles like myself. Um so oh, it has God, been tricky. Yeah. It has been tricky, and then you know, including the last two years, we've also recently had Afghanistan um, and and the withdrawal there that, that affected our constituency massively to the point where I think we were at the time one of the only constituency offices offering surgeries to um, Afghans and people affected by it. To the point where I think one surgery lasted eleven hours, and the other one lasted thirteen hours. The week after, we thought it would get quieter. Wow. So. There's a whole range of emotions. I think we've all been yeah. feeling the last last two years, and I think we're all still still quite anxious at what's to come and how we're going to learn through it. But um, yeah, the impact it can have on your role, particularly one like mine, is 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 quite huge, really. Yeah, and and like you say, you know, you you know, you don't want to get the violins out and understand that, but it is it is quite a testing thing hearing the stories of constituents, and and it's so wide ranging. Um, you know, for MP staff, because the issues you can be dealing with can vary hugely, you know, hour to hour, really, depending on what the issue is, Um, you know, whether it's, you know, a foreign 
um, travel issue, if it's somebody stranded abroad with the pandemic, the travel in the early stages, I know that was a huge problem. And when I was still working in Parliament, that was still a a huge problem in those early stages, was getting people back or people not knowing when they were going to get back. And then, of course, the actual, um, as soon as, you know, coronavirus started to make an impact here on the health service and, you know, you you were reading very traumatic stories every single day. And, you know, that has an impact on you. It's bound to. Um, especially when you're somebody, you know, like, like yourself. And I think the majority of people who, who get into politics, get into it for the right reason, which is the one, the one to change things and the one to help people. And if you're that kind of person, it's going to have a big impact on you mentally. You know, you're thinking this, you know, I, I want to help people. I want to make a difference. And you're seeing the hopelessness of a, of a global pandemic wreaking havoc on, you know, all aspects of society. And it must be, it must've been really traumatic for, um, for yourself and for the whole team in Barry's office, I imagine. No, it can be. And you, you, you struck on the point of people getting into it for the right reasons. And I think when you care, you, you can almost get to the point of caring too much because you mm-hmm. want to assist the best as possible. But if there's certain legislation that hasn't been passed or, or, or you know, white tape that, that's in the way, it, it can be tricky and, you know, sometimes you go to bed thinking of these people because really there's more that you want to do um, but can't and your hands are tied as a, as a constituency office because of whether it be national politics or local local government politics. Um, and, you know, we, we had similar issues to yourself. We had a, a whole host of constituents stuck in Colombia, I think it was, at right at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. You've then got people that were stuck over here who were on visitor visas yeah. who obviously then can't get back and are worried about it affecting their future visits because they will have overstayed their welcome, but at the time it was out of their control. You've got people that then obviously can't pay the rent because mm-hmm. of certain issues regarding lockdown, and Wembley is a huge hospitality hub with the stadium and, and, and restaurants and otherwise. Yeah. Um, it's a very deprived area. You've got lots of people living on top of each other. So I think for a large large part of the beginning of the pandemic, Brent and Northwick Park Hospital was was the epicentre of the uh, pandemic. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of concern. People are very worried. And, you know, I know myself what it's like when you can't afford a pint of milk at the end of the week and you're terrified and what am I going to do and they're going to come knocking at my door. Yeah. So it's putting yourself back in those people's shoes um, and almost reliving it in certain senses. And really, I, my thing is always, I've just wanted to try and help as many people as possible. I think yeah. that's what most people do when they go into politics. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you've touched on that that own life experience that you've had, Matthew, because, you know, reading about your background is absolutely fascinating. I must say, your journey to working in Parliament is a journey that, you know, has to be said is pretty unique when it comes to British politics. Um, you know, there are probably more MPs with... Um, who've come from challenging backgrounds than there are, you know, MP staff. Um, it is a way that you know the the system is set up and that it works. I remember when I was first when I first had one of our first ever visits to the House of Commons after I started working there. Um, I was asked by somebody um, very casually um, on our side of the house um, which one I went to, and I said, "Well, what do you mean? He said, which one did you which one did you go to?" And I couldn't understand what he said. What What do you mean? He said. Oxford or Cambridge, which one did you go to? Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, well... Uh, I mean, I haven't, I've had it myself. You know, they, they say, what, which one did you go to? And when you explain <laughs> that, well, I, I don't know what you're on about, or which one did you go to? And you say, <laughs> oh, I went to Salford. Oh, right, what did you do? Well, I did this and got a first. And somebody said, oh, it's not a real first, though, is it? Oh, God. It's, it's like, uh, really? Is this it's, where we've got to? But, it's unbelievable. You know, it's, but, yeah, it's, you, you know... 
even your background, you know, as it goes, you, you grew up in Stockport and, you know, lived as a teenager um, for a time and you were actually street homeless for a time. Is that right? No, yeah, I was, I, I, I had a challenging upbringing at times, um, particularly towards the end of being a, a teenager. Um, and uh, I spent periods homeless. I spent periods on the street. Um, and a lot of sofa surfing going on, um, and you know, sort of fell into the fell into the hands of the wrong people as such, um, the wrong crowd, mm-hmm. and um, sort of got into a bit of trouble, um, and sort of narrowly avoided going to prison. And my life was just on a bit of a spiral out of control, and I, I, I felt like there was nobody there, um, that there was no real support, and that that's my whole outlook on life, having been through my own experiences, because. If I didn't have the support of, uh, you know, my my best friend's mum eventually, and and um, her late husband, they they were, I, I mean, I call her my stepmom, because she was she was filling in a, a gap that wasn't there, and I, I owe a, a huge amount to her and her family. Um, if if you don't give people support and you don't provide opportunity, you will ultimately fail them. And anything I have done or will go on to do is testament to being given support and opportunity at my lowest point. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, no. I she she sort of took me in and, and tried to help me turn things around, encouraged me to go back into education because I left school with no GCSEs. I was absolutely intent on being a footballer and was very much a failed one for a short period of time. But I was <laughs> adamant I was going to do it. Um. And uh, well, they always said you were a very bright lad, but you just enjoyed you know being a bit of a, a class clown. I enjoyed making people happy and entertaining them. It's not really the most appropriate place, but that's yeah. what I did. And I think that also come from, you know, challenging home life. Um, so I, I went to college. I did an access course. Um, I did two years of an access course and left there with a distinction. Uh, I managed to get into um, Salford University. They accepted me, accepted me very late. I actually wanted to do mental health nursing because All right. football and mental health um one of the reasons why I, I left football really at any sort of level was because of my own mental health. Yeah. Um, and it's something I'm very passionate about. I don't think there is enough done in football. I've, I've banged on about this for years and nothing has changed in over a decade that I left. Um, so, but they wouldn't let me because I had a, I had a criminal record and obviously they didn't want me around vulnerable people. And I would explain my story and they, they, they said, we completely believe you, but unfortunately we're not going to be insured and liable. And my 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 friend's mum said, "Have you ever heard of social policy?" And I'd I'd never heard of it in my life. Um, her late husband had studied it. It sounded like me in a degree, and actually it taught me a lot of lessons that I've took into politics. One of the first days I was in, my lecturer looked at me as almost as if she knew already, and she said, "Some of you in this building are going to have to admit that Margaret Thatcher did some good things." She said, and some of you in this building will have to agree, disagree and say that Tony, Tony Blair did some good things. But the whole thing was about evidence-based policy. Yeah. Why I don't necessarily subscribe to an ideology. I think they're hundreds of years old and, and, and tell you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, if you can show me in evidence that something is right or will work better than the way things are, then I would be a bit silly to disagree. I obviously have my own beliefs. Absolutely. Um, but I think uh, the way the country goes wrong a lot of the time is not providing evidence-based policy or, or you know, peer-reviewed evidence and whatever else. So I did the degree and after uh, about seven or eight MPs telling me I didn't have enough experience, unfortunately, for the roles they were offering, I was given an opportunity then um, 
and and made my way into politics. So you know, here I am. Today. <laughs> it's an unbelievable story, really, isn't it? That to turn that around um, and to do so, you know, in so few years, really. Um, but like you say, those opportunities that were given, you know, I think all of us look back, especially when you come to a certain age and you think, you know, without without what I've been given, without that opportunity, you know, I absolutely could not be where I am. And when you realise how just how far you can fall when things go wrong and how quickly it can happen. Um, you know, whether you've faced issues with debt, whether people have faced issues with, you know, um, losing loved ones and, and then facing the, the, the effects of that financial and otherwise. Um, you know, it's, it, it, is a, it really is testament to the people who've supported us throughout our lives. So I'm pleased you've, you've covered that. And I don't think there'll be a single person who I, who I interview on this podcast who wouldn't say the same, you know, wouldn't be where they are without the people who've helped them. Um, but you've you've also, I mean, you know, in, in the time that you've been in politics, you've you've ended up working with three front bench MPs and a backbencher as well, and even shadowed Andy Burnham for for a short period, didn't he, as well, when he was shadow health secretary? Yeah, I mean, that was a lovely experience, and um, that that primarily came from when I was at college, I was getting frustrated because I couldn't find jobs that I wanted, just menial. Um, you know, minimum wage jobs on on, yeah. on uh, doing telesales or on the phone just to just to get a bit of extra cash in for the weekend, um, because of data protection, because of of, of anything else. They said, "Well, now we can't give it you. We can't give it you." And I thought, "This is really annoying me." I, I as 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 much of a victim as others, being groomed as a young teenager into into you know this this world um and i can't get a job to pay the rent and i thought mm-hmm. my record won't be up for 10 years i'll be 30 which ironically the age i am now i'll be 30 i could have a wife kids anything but i can't get a job to pay the rent i thought this mm-hmm. is just holding people back it's the only blotch on my record so i i was going to write to my mp who at the time was Anne coffee in stockport and then i thought being a bit creative i thought no do you know what i'm going to interview my mp and then actually I'm going to interview other MPs and people of note and people of prominence and turn this into a documentary and I want to put a screening on somewhere and all funds will go towards some sort of rehabilitation charity for, for ex-offenders that want to turn their lives around. And unfortunately, due to budgeting costs, being a young student, I never quite finished it before university, but I, you know, I interviewed Andy Burnham, I interviewed Rebecca Harris from the Conservatives, I interviewed uh, Lord Delacchia, Lib Dempe. Owen Jones, Andy Burnham, um, who else did I do? Andrew Gwynn was very good. Um, I interviewed some ex-prisoners, ex-footballers um, that had been in trouble before their, before football. A whole host of people. The best one was Jonathan Aitken, really. And there's a funny story about that. So Jonathan Aitken was the first person I'd interviewed. And um, it was my, my, my college teacher. said, why don't you contact him? He said, look in who's who. He says, because they normally wheel him out when they want to talk about you know MPs yeah. in trouble, blah, blah, blah. So I, I emailed and he emailed back within 20 minutes and said he was visiting family in Ireland, but I, would I come to his house and I could interview him and he'd be interested to talk to me. So whatever people think of him, rightly or wrongly, yeah. he gave me the time of day um, and invited me to his home and everything else. <laughs> and I interviewed him and it was hilarious really because he, he sort of disagreed with much of what I was saying um, and sort of said, you know, it's not a question of economics, you know, if somebody loses their house when they're in prison. I thought, well, it is, it really is. And he just kept saying to me, you'll be okay, you'll be fine. And I said, no, no, but I'm not doing this for me. It's, it's not about, it's never been about me, any of this. It's about other people and people I can help and people I can redirect on a different path, hopefully, if I see yeah. them going the path I was going. And he said, uh, 
no, 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 you you will be fine. You will be absolutely, you know, you'll go on to do good things. And I just thought, why does he keep saying this? <laughs> anyway, I seen him on the telly three weeks later saying exactly what I told him. And I thought, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, but ultimately, whatever I fed into him, he was then working, I believe, uh, in a more informal capacity with Simon Hughes, who was the Justice Minister at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And actually, through some of the work that he did, spent sentence length for young offenders was cut in half. So indirectly or directly, I felt I had an impact on the law being changed and giving people a second chance coming out of prison or uh, ex-offenders having a chance and an opportunity to try and turn their lives around a bit quicker than what they were doing. Um, no, but so, so long, long story short, Andy Burnham said he was very impressed with me. He agreed with everything I said, to which I said, well, why is nobody doing anything as, as a, a northern gobshite? And he said... Um, <laughs> He basically said, come and shadow me. It'd be, be great to show you around. And I was really grateful for the time that he gave. And I saw him most recently at a Labour conference. And it was really lovely that he remembered me because I look quite different now. Um, I just reiterated I was really grateful and that I was now working in Westminster. And, you know, he gave me that first taste and I, I appreciated it. It taught me a lot. That's a great story. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. And you you got an opportunity there as well, didn't you? They can kind of see that how it, how you can influence MPs and, and what impact that can have. Um, and people sometimes forget, you know, the power that, especially when you're in government, the power that, you know, people have um, and the op- the opportunity you have to influence them when you're working around the, the, the edges or on the perimeter of politics. And I guess that's one thing to, to take away from it. I'm, I'm guessing as a young person, you, you know, before that intervention, um, from your your friend's mother that you never you never saw yourself going into politics. You didn't. Is politics something you ever encountered? At, you know, whether it be at school, whether it be elsewhere, or was it just something that felt totally alien to you? Uh, a place where I didn't belong. I took zero interest mm. in politics um, at all. Really, I, I I voted in my first the first time I could vote, just twenty ten, um, and I watched the live TV debates because I sort of. Uh, sort of was turning a bit of a leaf, didn't really get politics, but I, I realised the importance of it, and it was reiterated to me the importance of voting and being involved. Um, prior to that, there was zero interest. My my mum and dad used to read the newspaper, and I, I, I would, you know, wanting to be a young journalist, really, at some point, was uh, would read the paper cover to cover, but almost then would skip the politics pages, almost as if it was subconsciously knew it wasn't something for me. Yeah. But I think I probably was always meant to be political because I was I was reminded by someone from school who I bumped into, I've not seen for about 15, 15, 16 years. And they actually said we were at a party and said you were the last person we thought would go into politics. And I said, I know, I, I didn't think it myself. But they said, we do remember. And I'd forgot all about this. One of the first sort of tasks I did at school, I was about five or six, was to write to the prime minister and uh, about animal cruelty, I think it was at the time. Because oh, really? my mum and dad watched the news, I was perfectly aware that John Major was the Prime Minister and then Tony Blair, and I knew who was the Prime Minister, I just yeah. didn't know much else. I wrote this ridiculous letter to Tony Blair, as a child does, and just basically for a full page of A4 put, you know, <laughs> uh, how would you like it if you were a, a bear and someone killed your child bear? How would you like it, A? Eh? A, and then moved on to the next animal. If you were a giraffe and the baby giraffe got killed, how would you like it? A, A. So I was obviously always meant to be in politics ranting and just didn't quite know it yet. But I I suppose that was the start maybe of the real journey. 
That was your first. That was your first foray into speech writing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's improved much better. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to wheel that one out for Barry. What are you What, what are you thinking? It'd be like to be a giraffe, eh? What do you think? Of... <laughs> That's brilliant. And uh, yeah, we're, I mean, working in opposition as well. You know, touch on kind of what the influence government can have, but working in oppositions you know, can be a very frustrating thing. You know, and people like you and me, you've only ever really known you know opposition and been involved in politics um how how have you found that during your time parliament do you think that can be a bit disenfranchising for people who are working in it full time or do you think it's you know do you think there's unique opportunities how, how have you found opposition i think a lot of my friends will laugh at this because they they know how much i love to moan on a daily basis but i i am quite a positive person i i, I think you have to be like that in parliament because you will just become disenfranchised overnight it is one of the most, if not the most, certainly that I've worked in, dysfunctional, doesn't quite work, uh, at times backwards buildings where you feel very little is getting done, certainly on a, a national level. And, you know, that, that probably counts for anybody in power. This isn't a party political dig. This is just the the pomp and the old-fashioned traditions that are there and this ridiculous nature of filibustering and yeah. all sorts of bizarre traditions that go on there. It, it, it can be incredibly frustrating. So what, what you have to take out of it is the little wins that you can get. So if I take Barry's bill as, a, as an example, okay, the bill got talked out. We didn't manage to, to affect the change through legislation or getting it into committee stage. What we are aware of is the gov- we we forced the government, it seems, to take action, whether they're either different things, whether they will bring a bill of their own, whether they will update the le- current legislation to make it tighter. To me, that is still a win, because if we hadn't have campaigned as we did and made as much noise as we did and it was as effective as it was, they wouldn't have done that necessarily. So you take the little wins of, I don't care who passes it, if it's right, it's right, and I'd rather things get done in this country than not. Yeah, um, absolutely. So you it just feels like uh, you're absolutely right. You know that the whole energy and atmosphere around Westminster sometimes does feel. You know, you get that that old boys' club accusation that about. You know, it does feel like that. It feels like you're there to maybe enjoy yourself while you're an MP, or you know, kick back a bit. And you know, whilst whilst you're there, there's lots of opportunities and things that are presented to you and all the rest of it and the constituency that you're there representing however many hundreds of miles away it is can become a kind of a second thought or it can be you know however you know you're now the the big dog you're the important person who's been elected to this place um and once you get into that bubble i think you know throughout history it's been very difficult for people to see outside of that. I think especially for working class MPs or people who come from a background where, you know, this is an intimidating environment, but also, you know, it's a very, you know, you can have stars in your eyes almost and you can think, wow, what an incredible play. Look at me. Look how I got here. Look where I've come from. And, you know, it can be, um, that that can be intoxicating for some people, I think. Um, and, you know, you're right. You're trying to keep... Trying to keep a level head and keep yourself rooted in reality is obviously much easier when you work for for somebody who shares your views and your beliefs. It's great, um, but if you see the work that's been done day to day basis by some MPs and compare it with others, you would rightly become very frustrated. No, absolutely, and I think there's there, there is. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I, I, you can tell there is a a little bit of that. I think when you're young ish. 
and overnight you have become somebody that will become sort of well known or known to an extent and within that building you're a bit of a celebrity you're now on 80 odd thousand pounds a year you probably can't help but feel like you've made it Mm -hmm. um but ultimately you shouldn't be going into it for those reasons and i would encourage anybody who wants to go into it for money uh, and other reasons that isn't wanting to help people and help the country just to stay away it's the worst type and the, you know the building itself has that effect as well I, I remember my first week I had imposter syndrome in my own office um <laughs> I was there was I, I only found out recently when we were joking about it, I was the only state educated kid in the class um in the, in the office sorry um and I, I found it quite and I, you know I'm I've I'm at times quite brash um and not, you know, just sort of think, well, I'm not letting this bother me. But I did find it quite overwhelming. But I used to think about what lads would say back home on our estate. And you can ask Angela Rayner the same thing if you ever speak to her, because she's from Bridgehall Estate. Yeah. You have to stay true to yourself. So I still stuck with my long hair and beard. I would go into work in jumper and jeans. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't bat an eyelid. And if people wanted to judge me on a certain a certain way, that would be up to them. My thing was, I will force you to respect me because what I look like, how I look like, how I sound like, does not affect how good I am at my job or how intelligent I might be. And in the end, you will have to see this through some sort of meritocratic lens and go, actually, he's quite good in. He's Mm -hmm. quite good. And and in the end, after two years, I mean, I I feel I have the respect of most of the lobby from comments I get and what people Mm -hmm. tell me. I have the respect of my peers and through through my own hard work, particularly around the bill, of the opposition MPs and staffers as well, who who have, have lovely things to say, which puts you in a very interesting predicament. <laughs> but, you know, these people are all human beings. We just see the world in a different way. And I have a huge respect for many people in Parliament for yeah. not judging me on appearance or voice or accent or university I went to. Yeah, it's yeah. just about always trying his hardest to make the change that he thinks is best. Definitely, that's fantastic to hear. And you know, young people who are inspired to work in politics, or you know, like you've said something that I've often said myself, which is if you if you're somebody who's you know. 12, 13 years old and, you know, is fascinated at the prospect of becoming uh, a politician because of the fame or the money or, or whatever it is, um, you know, you probably want to think twice about it and, and go out into the real world first and get some real life experience and then feel like you have something to bring to the table first, you know, at the end of it, um, something that's useful and something that can actually influence what's going on there. Um, do do you have any particular key piece of advice to anybody who you know is a young person from whatever background across the country who might be listening to this, um, who who wants to get into politics or wants to get more involved in politics? What would be your key piece of advice to that person? Um, I think to give yourself the best chance of getting a job, certainly from my experience, was to go and get some kind of experience. So I went in very early as a caseworker but you still need a level of experience. So I would go and volunteer at at local food banks. I set up a service within Stockport to help people who didn't feel they were being represented or listened to by the MP who'd lost their benefits. Because of my background and degree and knowledge of those subjects, would then write and fill in their appeal forms, 
help them with spelling. If they were homeless, bring them in, give them a brew. Just different things to show that you have a social conscience and have an understanding of the legislation you'll be dealing with as a caseworker, as somebody dealing with policy, as as a parliamentary system, whatever it might be. Um, I think there's no real catch-all, but I think if you care and you want to change the world, the country, your local area, do it. Go and do it. Go and get involved in your local community, regardless of, you know, whatever it is. Go and assist, go and help counsellors, go and help community groups, set up your own community group, be active, you know, in in whatever change you want to see. Um, And you won't go far wrong because if you've got a passion and a drive, certainly from what I've found with my experience, people will see that and people will hopefully harness that and try and encourage you to carry on going further and further or being well. it isn't all glitz and glamour for anyone that you know sees the chamber and goes, oh, that's brilliant. It's incredibly frustrating at times. Not always. There's some great days and some great little victories. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's very late nights. There's very long weeks and you can be working well into the weekend and otherwise. Um, but ultimately, when you get a win, you can't beat that feeling, whether that be you've, you've, you've managed to get somebody on the media and they've delivered a great speech that you've briefed, if they've put in a great media performance from a casework point of view, if you've managed to get somebody's benefits back or uh, stop them being deported that afternoon, you can't beat that feeling you get inside. Money can't buy that. N- success or, or you know, uh, being famous or whatever can't buy that. The idea that you've helped somebody have an impact on their life and they'll then remember that and hopefully that'll have an effect on the way they may they, they go on and assist or help people or, or whatever. And ultimately you build your reputation on that. I think Barry has done that for the last 25 years. He's a great constituency MP that people know they can trust and go to for advice and help. And that's that's what it's all about for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and just quickly, one last thing, Matthew. What has been the most reward? Because we're talking about it being rewarding there. Because it is a rewarding role, like you say, you know, most of the time. While there's those frustrations, those encounters that you have with people and those that difference you can make can be hugely rewarding. What's one of the things that sticks in your mind that's been the most rewarding thing um, that you've done or, or the most rewarding opportunity you've been given while you've been in Parliament? Every day, every single day. And I know that sounds cliche, but to be given the trust by numerous uh, members that I've worked for, um, and 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 to be to be given opportunities, and you know you do. My friend said the other week I, I took him round Parliament, and he said, "Do you not still like go a bit mad when you're walking down these corridors?" <laughs> I said, "You actually get used to it, but when you when you think about it a bit deeper, the idea that someone from my background and my experience is even there anyway <laughs> yeah, is yeah, an achievement well. in my eyes and it shouldn't be it should be more representative and people like me should be there and other sorts of people should be there yeah. but ultimately the fact that I am incredibly privileged to go into a building that I would just grow up watching on the tv and just didn't think was a thing for me and then to be able to have these lovely conversations with different staff members different MPs my own my own colleagues uh, journalists, you know, you, you do have to pinch yourself and you think, what a position I, I'm in, what an experience this is. So I think the most rewarding thing is, for me on a personal level, is to be accepted. Mm. I'm in that building and I feel accepted when I, I didn't think I ever would be, be, you know, and maybe that's a deeper personal thing, but I think the most rewarding thing is to be something like that, to be given an opportunity um, and be respected by my, my peers and colleagues and whatever, um, 
is just huge to me, really. Excellent. You're doing fantastic work, Matthew, breaking down those barriers. I know you, you, you know, you're a very humble person. You'll not admit it yourself, so I'll do it for you. But you know, the fact that you're there doing that and having those conversations, building those relationships across political boundaries, and you know, with your background and not being not shying away from it, and having you know the the courage to talk about where you've come from, where you are now, and how we need to ensure that that is an opportunity available for more people. Um, you know, is a is fantastic work, and I'm sure everyone, um, everyone in the lobby definitely would agree with me on that one. So, thank you very much for your time, Matthew. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and I hope to catch up with you again soon, Matthew Talbot. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to People Buying Politics. I've been your host, James Matthewson, and I'd like to thank our producer, Charlie Hornsby. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can access the latest weekly episodes as and when they're released. Thanks for listening.